If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Last week, we looked at 2 Peter chapter 3 and um, chapter, uh, verses 1 through 9. We saw how the false teachers were scoffing, scoffing at the idea of the Lord's return, scoffing at the idea of the Lord's coming judgment. Peter makes a strong case against scoffers, against anyone who would say, where is Jesus? Why hasn't he come back already? He says he's coming back. Where is he? Uh, Peter makes a strong case against scoffers. And he reassures believers in Jesus. If that's you, he's reassuring you here in this passage that the Lord will return just as he promised. But what should... God's children be doing while we wait? What should God's children, what should God's people be doing until his return? As we continue our look at 2 Peter 3 and picking up at verses 10 through 14, we're going to be given an answer to that question. What should we be doing as we await the Lord's promised return? In this passage before us, we're going to be reminded that the day of the Lord will will come. It will certainly come. Peter also describes what will take place when the day of the Lord comes. And he also challenges the church as to how we should live in light of the coming day of the Lord. So let's look at this passage together. I want you to follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read verses 10 through 14 in 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 3.10 But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved... Since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So in verse 10, Peter says, look at verse 10 again. It says, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. What exactly is the day of the Lord? that he's speaking about here. The day of the Lord points to God's intervention in human history and specifically for the purpose of bringing judgment. And that's just what we see here. God will judge the ungodly and he will bring an end to this world's system as we know it. 
There have been other times when God has done this. There have been other times. God has intervened in human history and brought judgment. The flood in Noah's day is one. Um, Sodom and Gomorrah, another. Those stand out to us, right? But the day of the Lord and judgment of the Lord, which Peter speaks of, will usher in the end, and we can see it here in the text, it will usher in the end of the present heavens and earth as we know them. Verse 10 makes that very clear. But I want you to get this tonight. If if you don't get anything, you need to know this and, and understand this. Peter's purpose is not to get us thinking all about what's going to happen to the earth and the heavens. Peter's purpose is not to get us thinking about all that, but to point us to how we're supposed to be living now. Uh, Maybe you've met someone who's really uh, into end times events and and trying to figure things out and and need to study that and have a really, uh, like a head full of knowledge about end times events. Sometimes uh, that troubles me a little bit when somebody does that and gets that that caught up in end times things is because uh, are you forgetting that you're living here and now and you don't know when the end is coming and until then you're to be living like there's no tomorrow. Notice first how the day of the Lord will come. You see it. Like a thief. Have any, has anybody ever had their... You don't have to raise your hand. Anybody, we've had this happen to us. Anybody ever break into your home when you're not there and steal something and you come home and you look around and you think, things aren't right. That happened to us one time. And I thought he had to come in the back door because... Because that's probably, I mean, we left both doors unlocked. But, you know, he probably came in the back door because you'd sneak in the back door. You wouldn't sneak in the front door. I went out the back and I found, this was back when we listened to CDs. And I found a CD in the backyard. And then I found another one and I found a trail of CDs. And then I found kitchen knives out in the field. Kind of going back, making a loop back to the road. And then I realized I had actually helped this guy start his car. I came down the road and his car was dead in the road near our house, down the road from our house. And I say, hey, buddy, you haven't... He says, yeah, I can't start my car. I helped him get his car started, and he left. And I didn't think anything of it until about 30 minutes later when I realized that dude had been in my house. And if I had caught him in there, (laughs) who knows what would have happened. But he had our kitchen knives. And he had some of our CDs. I didn't care about the CDs so much. He didn't announce himself. He didn't make an appointment. That's how... The day of the Lord's going to come. You'll be surprised. You might think you can get figured all out. You're not going to be able to figure it out. The day of the Lord will come without notice. We can hear Jesus saying the same thing. The Son of Man will come unexpectedly. Listen to Matthew 24, verses 42 through 4. That little story I told you was a long time ago. That wasn't recently. Listen to Matthew 24, verses 42. Just in case you were sitting there wondering, did this just happen? Matthew 24, listen to these words of Jesus because he says the same thing that Peter is saying. Therefore, and this is the point that Peter's making, Jesus says this, therefore, stay awake. Now, it doesn't mean you can't go to bed tonight and sleep. You can sleep because God doesn't sleep. But this is making a point about how you're you're supposed to live. Stay awake, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming, but know this. That if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, 
he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And that brings us back to Peter's purpose. Jesus says to be ready. Be ready. Because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. We believe the Bible makes clear that before the day of the Lord, the church, all true believers in Jesus are going to be raptured and we're going to be caught up together in the air. And that's going to be before the tribulation of the earth. So, so since we don't know when that rapture is going to occur, we don't know when the day of the Lord is going to occur. We think the day of the Lord is going to be after that. But God knows And what does God's word tell us? God knows that his return is coming. His coming judgment is going to happen. And what does God's word tell us? Does he tell us to try to figure out what day it's going to be? (laughs) Peter's purpose is not to set the church on an expedition to figure out when that day will come, but to make sure that we're prepared, that we're preparing ourselves, that we're living like we're ready Peter says that we're to be ready because the Lord will come like a thief. And Jesus also says the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The Lord will return. And there will be a day of judgment. It doesn't matter what the scoffers in this world, the culture we live in now, say. It doesn't matter what they say. This is the truth. God has given it to us in His Word. The day of the Lord is coming. So how do you get ready? How do you prepare yourself? How are you supposed to live? How do you prepare yourself for that day? What are you supposed to be doing while you wait for the Lord to return or call you home in death? First things first, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's first. There's nothing else you can do to get ready until... You've trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you've not trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that's first. And in light of what we see here, to delay putting your faith in Jesus is foolishness, since you could be surprised at the Lord's return. You will be surprised at the Lord's return. That's what the text is telling us. The day of the Lord is coming like a thief, and you could be unprepared for the judgment to come. Now, If you're a follower of Christ and you know people who need Christ and you try to witness to them, it can be frustrating, can't it, to to try to share with them the truth of the gospel and they kind of, their eyes glaze over and they go, okay, good for you, but not for me, I don't need that. That's troubling, isn't it? And you want them to see this. And, you know, short of calling them foolish, or maybe if you're really good friends with them, you can call them foolish. That's what that is. To, To deny that Jesus is returning And to reject this truth is foolishness. If you know the Lord as your Savior, you you are ultimately prepared. And here's where we need to be, if you're a follower of Christ, you need to think about this. You are ultimately prepared to meet Him. But you should be certain that you are living in light of eternity. There's more to being prepared for the Lord's return than simply trusting in Jesus as Savior and Lord 
And that is the purpose for which Peter writes here in verse 11. Look at verse 11 again. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Now just note this for a second. This is actually not a question. This what sort of people ought we to be? This is actually not a question. Uh, The English Standard Version, which I really enjoy using and like in the New American Standard Bible, both of these translations of verses 11 and 12 are actually one long sentence that ends with an exclamation point. Now, the, ex- the, the punctuation um, the translators put in, okay, so I'm not suggesting that the punctuation is inspired by any stretch. Uh, the translators put the punctu- in for, punctuation in for our sake so that we could understand. But the, but the translators of the ESV, the New American Standard, and other trustworthy translations put an exclamation point at the end of verses, one and, or, uh, verses uh, 11 and 12 and not a question mark because it's really not a question. It's a statement. It's a statement with implications. And so it can be phrased something like a question, but there's implications here. There's implied truth here. The beginning of verse 11 sets the tone for how serious this is. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved. Know this. Know this. Salvation is not fire insurance. You know that insurance is something you and I buy, and sometimes we buy it because we have to buy it. You know, the government says you have to have insurance on your house. You have to have it on your car. Um, Maybe you don't have to have it on your house if you own your house outright. But when we bought a house, we had to get insurance. (laughs) Right? Do you ever hope to use it? (laughs) You never hope to use it. I don't want to use the insurance that I bought and paid for. I I don't want to use the insurance. Salvation is not fire insurance. Salvation is a gift from God. The forgiveness of your sins is a gift from God, and you absolutely need it. You must have it to be forgiven your sins. You must have God's grace through forgiveness of your sins. You absolutely must have it to escape the coming judgment. That's where we begin And if you have your faith fixed on Christ, that's a wonderful start. But know this too. If you have forgiveness of sins because your faith is in Jesus, that should change the way that you live and should cause you to live in such a way that you're looking forward to the Lord's return and not hoping the Lord will delay so that you can have more fun on the earth. Looking forward to the Lord's return and preparing yourself For the day that God calls you home, God may call you home before the rapture. And and not have you looking at your salvation as if it's fire insurance or life insurance. No, you need salvation. You must have it. And as believers, we take great comfort in the fact that God is sovereign and He is in control. He's in control of this world that we live in. It seems like sometimes somebody else is in control, doesn't it? But no, no, we need to be reminded of this. The Lord is in control. But we also are to take seriously our responsibility to live for the glory of God this side of eternity. So what kind of conduct 
should be evident in your life if you're looking forward to the Lord's return. Verse 11, look at it again. We're to be living in holiness and godliness. Holiness and godliness. Why? Because implied here in verses 11 through 13 is that the only things that will withstand God's judgment are holiness and godliness. Let's look at those verses again. Look at verses 11 through 13 again. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for the hasten, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn but verse 13 but according to his promise we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells in which righteousness dwells. Do you see that? So verse 11 says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Why? Because holiness and godliness are the only things that will withstand God's judgment. Does it feel like we're living in crazy days? I can't tell you how many times in the last two years I've looked at all kinds of different things going on in the world in which we live and have said, that's incredible. Or that's remarkable. Or I, that's unbelievable. I can't believe people are actually doing that. I never could have imagined people would act like we've seen people act about all kinds of things in the last two years. But in light of God's coming judgment, what becomes more and more clear to me is that believers in Jesus are the only people who truly know how to live on earth. So the senseless behavior by the unbelieving world around us should not surprise us because believers are really the only people who know how to live on the earth. What should surprise us is when professing believers behave like the world. And that should concern us, right? For, for each other. If we see each other doing that, that should concern us. We should try to come alongside one another, encourage each other in the faith if we see each other behaving like the world. And it should trouble you when you catch yourself behaving like the world, thinking like the world, acting like the world. Holiness and godliness. We don't always live the way we're supposed to, do we? Well, we struggle with it. No, we struggle to live the way we're supposed to, but holiness and godliness ought to be our aim as the church. That's the kind of conduct that should be characteristic of growing believers in Jesus. And I think we should always be growing, always growing toward the kingdom. And I said it this morning that I don't think we'll ever grow up completely this side of heaven, this side of eternity, so we always have room to grow doesn't matter how old you are or how frail your body is, you can keep growing up spiritually. Holiness and godliness, that's the conduct that should characterize our lives 
from day to day. This is not the kind of conduct that we see in the lives of unbelievers, is it? We look at the world around us. We don't see holiness and godliness. We see the opposite. But because we live in the world, it's far too easy for us at times to get distracted by the world. It's far too easy for us to get caught up in the way the world thinks, the way the world behaves, and to set the same kinds of goals for our lives that the world sets for themselves. It's far too easy for us to get caught up in pursuing earthly pleasures or fearing the things that unbelievers fear who have no hope. It shouldn't surprise you that the world fears things because they don't have any hope. They may not even realize it, but they have no hope. But believers have hope. I think of it every time I attend a funeral of a believer. Believers grieve. We shed tears over the loss of loved ones. But we don't grieve like people who have no hope. We grieve differently. It's a good kind of grief. It's a jealous kind of grief. Because <laughs> we think, oh, they got to heaven before I did. <laughs> if you're committed to holiness and godliness in your life, you will also be committed to trusting the Lord with every area of your life. Even if you struggle with that, your desire is going to be, God, I want to give you that area. I'm having a hard time letting it go, but I really want to give you that area, and I want to trust you with it. I know you're smarter than I am. I know you're wiser than I am. And when I see you doing one thing, I know you're doing a million things, so I want to trust you with this, and I'm having a hard time letting it go. The Lord wants us to give Him every area of our lives and to saturate them with holiness and godliness as we wait for Him to return or call us home. So what does holiness and godliness look like for the growing believer? The growing believer in Jesus Christ ought to have some signs. You ought to be able to look at your life and see signs of growth. What does holiness and godliness look like for the growing believer in Jesus? Listen to, and I'm just going to share a few passages here, and and they're ones you're familiar with, but listen to 1 John 3.3. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. Is that your aim? To purify yourself as he is pure? How do you purify yourself? You might wonder, how do you purify yourself? Ephesians 4. Listen to verses 22 through 24. If you want to turn there, that's fine. Ephesians 4, verses 22 through 24 says this. And again, familiar passage, but it's good to get these reminders what it looks like to have holiness and godliness growing in our lives as followers of Jesus. How do you purify yourself? How do you aim at holiness and godliness? Ephesians 4, verse 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former way of life. It belongs to your former way of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. You see where your minds enter in here? And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off the old self. What does that tell you? It tells you that you're still dealing with the old self. 
put on the new, put on the new, uh, put off the old which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. What does that mean, to put on the new self? It means that you, you have access to it. It's yours in Christ. You have his spirit. You're, you're born again. You have new life in Christ. And so there is this tension as we live this side of eternity, isn't there, where we're dealing with putting off the old and putting on the new. This is not saving yourself. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you're his. He saves you and keeps you. What we're talking about is living a life of holiness and godliness that glorifies God, that pleases him and gives us, here's a side benefit, it gives us much contentment, peace, and joy. So Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, right at the end of here, we hear that created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The new man that we're putting on is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We have access to God's power in us to help us live holy and godly lives. Holiness and godliness, righteousness and holiness. How? You daily, you daily fight to put off the sinful desires by being renewed in in the spirit of your minds. And your mind comes into this. And that only happens when you put everything into perspective by filling your mind and filling up your affections for Christ, filling your mind and heart with the truth of God's Word every day. We desperately need the truth. We are super saturated by all kinds of media in our culture. And you and I can take in all kinds of things all day long if we want to, We need to make a priority of taking in the truths of God's Word to fix our thinking on Christ, to fix our thinking on eternity, to correct our thinking because the world's constantly dragging us in the wrong direction, filling your mind and heart with the truth of God's Word every day. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have His help in this. God promises, and we heard it in Proverbs 13, Think of, the, think of Proverbs 13 in the context of having a heavenly father with biblical wisdom and following the wisdom of the father. When you do that, God blesses, God helps you. He gives you insight into the truth that you can apply to your life to change the way that you live, to be obedient in difficult places where it's challenging to be obedient and tempting to be disobedient. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have his help in this. In fact, this is just what Peter was pointing to back in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. If you're back in uh, uh, 2 Peter, you can go to chapter 1. Verses 3 and 4, his divine power. It's his divine power that has been granted to us has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. There's that idea of godliness again in our lives. Through the knowledge of him who called you, called us to his own glory and excellence. 
Verse 4, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. And so Peter says, back here in chapter 3 and verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Are you looking forward? Are you looking forward to what God has in store for you in eternity? It's hard to even fathom what God has for us in eternity. Hard hard for us to even get our human, our earthly thinking minds that are so shaped by earthly thinking wrapped around what it will be like to be with the Lord Jesus Christ in eternity. But are you looking forward to it anyway? (laughs) Far beyond anything you can imagine. God has prepared for you in eternity. Are you looking forward to what God has in store for you? And are you storing up treasure in heaven rather than seeking to store it all up on earth where you can try to enjoy it now in the fleeting days that you have? And while you anticipate with an eternal perspective what lies ahead, are you being diligent to be found by the Lord without spot or blemish? We're not talking about perfection here. God is gracious. Titus chapter 2, verses 12 through 14 is another passage that gives us a glimpse of what this looks like in our lives. And if, and if, God's, uh, if God expected us to, to reach perfection, we wouldn't have passages like this that show us <laughs> that we struggle at this spiritual perfection thing. Titus 2, verses 12 through 14, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Why do we need to be trained to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions? Because they're still with us. And we're we're learning day by day to throw them off and to put temptation to death. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. I, you know, one of the things I look forward to the most about heaven is being done with temptation and sin. The thing that we grapple with the most, the thing I grapple with the most. I want to be done with that. And yet, when I come to a passage like this, I am greatly encouraged that this side of heaven, I, got, I have God's help for that here and now. In the present age training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Verse 13, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's good works so that we glorify God. Again, we're not earning our salvation. That's paid for. The Lord Jesus Christ paid for it. It's yours if you're in Christ. But those who are in Christ ought to be being renewed and changed daily 
and becoming more and more zealous for good works, which is also a code word for obedience (laughs) to God's word. Good works. You purify yourself as you wait for the day of the Lord by daily taking a stand against your own sinful desires. And back in our passage, Peter points to what this kind of living results in here in verses, well, it's in verse 14 of 2 Peter 3. He says, here's what this looks like. And be diligent, be diligent, and, and don't miss this, and at peace. At peace? Peace? This side of eternity? (laughs) Is there turmoil in this world? Yes, there is. Do you face troubles? Yes, you do. But you can be at peace. Isn't that wonderful to know that God wants you to have His peace this side of eternity? We, we tend to think of heaven in terms like all trouble will be gone. I'll be shedding no more tears. I'll be done with sin and temptation. And yet, we're living in eternity now with God's power at work within us, with His Word in our hands that we can hide in our hearts And we can be at peace even in troubled times, even with turmoil in our own lives, in our own families, in our own friendships, in our own workplaces, in our own neighborhoods, in our own culture, in our own government. You can be at peace knowing what's coming, knowing that God is in control, and you can be at peace as you... Here's how we wait. We wait faithfully. That's not doing... Nothing. That's two negatives in a sentence, which is a no-no, but anyway. It's not doing nothing. It's waiting patiently. That's doing all that you can to live a holy and godly life that pleases the Lord this side of eternity, to bring Him glory, to point people to Jesus. Live in light of eternity. Live in anticipation of Jesus' return. The Lord's judgment is coming. But that is not a reason for fear for those who are in Christ. If you know the Lord, you can look forward to what He has in store for you. And if you know that this earth will be judged, you can also be sobered by that truth. Because you will want to live in such a way that points other people to the gospel and opens doors of opportunity for you to tell other people about your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a pointer to this back in verse 12 when Peter says this. Look at verse 12 again. 2 Peter 3, verse 12. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Wait a minute. How how do we hasten? That's like, hurry it up. How do we hasten the coming of the day of God? How do we do that? Yes, we're involved in hastening, in bringing the day of God. How do we hasten the day of God? Pray for unbelievers to be saved. Pray for the people that you know who need Christ. Pray for opportunities to tell them about Jesus. Pray for opportunities for them to see that your faith is real. That might bring troubles into your life that they'll have to see you go through with your eyes fixed on Jesus. But pray for unbelievers to be saved. 
and you witness to unbelievers the truth of the gospel whenever you have opportunities. And you live in such a way that is so different from the world, and you don't really even have to try. If you're really following Christ, you're going to be different, all right. The world's going to look at you like you're a weirdo, and you're not even going to be trying to be a weirdo. (laughs) You're going to be obeying God's word in holiness and righteousness. That is countercultural. But if you live in such a way that is so different from the world that you can't help but point people to Jesus so that they are saved because they're looking to Him and putting their trust in Him, you will be hastening the day of the Lord's return. Isn't that incredible? That God entrusts that to us. That's a big responsibility too, isn't it? And may that be us here at Chardon Baptist Church. May that be His people named here as the church in Chardon where we may feel like we're just a few. But think about the multiplied opportunities that we'll have this week as we leave this place with the truth of God's Word in our hearts and a desire to please the Lord with the way that we live and to take opportunities that the Lord gives us to witness the Gospel so that other people will not have to face the day of the Lord and His judgment.